All right. <clears throat> Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Pastor Albert, Pastor Albi, one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I want to welcome you for those joining us online. Uh, this service, if you're, if you're new, if you're just checking us out, welcome. Just want to give a special welcome. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. For the few of us joining us here in the sanctuary, welcome to you guys. And uh, for all our regular members and attenders, we miss you all and hope to see you guys soon. Well, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. But you know, I don't know if I have to preach the sermon anymore because uh, Director Heidi did such an amazing job. I may need some of those props later on in the sermon. So, Director Heidi, be ready. All right. But I'm here to preach God's words, and so let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 14 through 18 with me. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Starting in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me real quick? Lord, would you give me the words to say? May it be your words and not mine. And would you give us ears to hear the good news of the gospel this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. You know, when I think about my first uh, experience with fire, uh, I think about the time where I almost accidentally burned my house down. Uh, kids, if you're watching this, take this as a cautionary tale. All right. Uh, anyways, I was probably about seven or eight years old, and somehow I, I gotten a hold of some matches. And uh, one thing led to another, and I proceeded to light the match, and I, I looked at the marvel that is this chemical reaction, this combustion that is happening, the process of combustion. And there I was, wide-eyed and wondered. And it's kind of like the movie Castaway, where I, I feel like, I created fire. I made fire. And all was well and good until my hands started feeling hotter. You see, no one told me that this match doesn't last forever, right? And so the, my, my, I started feeling pain in my hand. I was like, what's going on? This, this fire is getting closer to my hand, and I started freaking out. And of course, I immediately just dropped the match. And long story short, carpet starts burning. I start yelling. Grandma starts, comes, come, bursts through the door, stomps the fire out, and all is well in the young household. <laughs> you see, Christ Central, fire is painful. 
numerous, numerous times throughout the Bible, fire is used as a metaphor for suffering, for trials, and for testing. And we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 7, it says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when our faith is tested, the Bible talks about it like gold that gets refined in the fire. It's in the furnace that all the impurities are burned off, and it's, it's like gold being refined in the fire, and that's what happens to our faith. You'll know the quality of your faith when you've been tested. And so the question this morning is this. In the midst of the fires and trials that come into our lives, how do we go in and not get burned by it? How do we go in and come out and let it refine us? And here's the answer, people of God. It's when we realize that we were never alone in the fire to begin with. There was another in the fire, and it's there in the fire where God often does some of his best work in us to refine us and to make, him, make us more like him. This morning, we're going to see an example of this uh, through the story of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want us to see three important things this morning. First, when you stand up for your faith, when you take a stand for Christ, it's going to inevitably lead you to the fire. You're going to experience the fire of persecution and the, uh, the worldly consequences for standing up for your faith. Secondly, we're going to see that when you're in the fire, when you're in the midst of the fire, you will be refined. Just as gold is refined in the fire, your worship will be refined. And lastly, we're going to see that you're not alone in the fire. There was another in the fire. So here's our, out, our outline. First, courage leads us to the fire. Second, our worship is refined in the fire. There was another in the fire. So as we begin, courage leads us to the fire. Our context this morning uh, is during the Babylonian Empire. The Babylon Babylonians had conquered the lands of what we now know as the Middle East. This is the 6th century BC, 600 years before Christ. And they were the preeminent power of the world. And the guy named Nebuchadnezzar was their king, right? History does not deny this man. He was a real king, and he had conquered the world. He had moved into Jerusalem, burned down the temple, and took captives. You see, this is what they did. They indoctrinated countries that they conquered, right? They, they would take the best and the brightest, the military officers, the scholars, and artisans of the day, and all the top government officials, and they would subjugate them through assimilation. Basically, what that means is they would brainwash them. You see, that was their strategy to add to their empire, right? They, they took captive and indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture, and hopefully by the next generation, uh, they'll forget the culture that they were previously. They forget their values, and they stop resisting Babylonian rule. 
And Daniel, whom the book of Daniel is about, along with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are Jewish exiles and captives of the Babylonian Empire. In verse uh, 14, we see, Nebuchadnezzar had said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? You see, a couple verses earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar had built this giant statue, right? This is what Dr. Heidi was talking about, this 90 feet high covered in gold statue. And, and around the statue, they had this grand ceremony. It's kind of like the opening of a, 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 an Olympics, right? It's grand, and it's, uh, there's an orchestra, and, and there's, there, commentators are saying that about 100,000 people were there in attendance, for this event. And so the royal decree goes out and it says if someone is able to see this statue, if they're around the statue and you hear the music play, what you must do is you must bow down and worship the statue. And again, if you don't do this, well then, off to the burning fiery furnace you go. You see, What's important to understand here about Babylon? Not only is it a multinational and multi-ethnic city, it was a pluralistic city. What, what does it mean to be pluralistic? Well, it means you can, you can have your, your own truth as long as you don't disparage upon the truths of others. Right? It was a very relativistic society. Truth was relative. Furthermore, why did the golden, what, what did the golden image mean? The golden image was never given a name, even though the Babylonians had many gods. And so what commentators say, that is, it's actually, the image of gold does not represent one god. It represents all the gods, all the values, all the beliefs, and essentially the culture of Babylon, it represents Babylon itself. So by bowing down to the golden image, you are pledging your allegiance to Babylon. Get this, King Nebuchadnezzar, he never says, don't worship your God, right? But worship our God as well. When the music plays, when you're in public, bow down and worship. In other words, you can have your private faith. Just keep it private. When you come into public, worship our gods. Again, he isn't saying abandon your God. He's just saying worship our God also. Just like the pluralism we see in Babylon, pluralism and the pressure of it is alive today, right here in an American society. You see, in one sense, America is a modern-day Babylon. Isn't it true? In American society, it's okay to have your private faith, but just keep it private. You can worship God on Sunday, just, but just keep church to Sunday. Don't bring it to Monday. Don't bring your faith into your workplace. Don't bring your faith into your schools, right? For our students, you can have, you, you, can go, you can be with Director Sujin and you do youth and be at church on Sunday, but the world says it's okay to, when you get to Monday, 
to cheat on your tests or on your on a quiz or, or gossip and behind people's backs or mess around with other boys and girls or put whatever it is into your body, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. Because society says it's okay. For those who are out of college, it's about your career, advancement. It's okay to step on other people to get that higher position or higher paying job for the Christian businessman to only care about your profit or to fudge on your taxes or mistreat your employees, friends, whatever it may be. Are you giving into the pressures of Babylon? And when you give into it, you're bowing down to Babylon. The story continues. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, when you take a stand for your faith, when you stand up for what you believe, when you stand up for the gospel, it's going to lead you to the fire. You will experience persecution and hardship. Now, I'm not talking about random suffering here or suffering due to the consequence of your sin. What I'm talking about here is suffering that comes as a result of our Christian witness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the courage to stand up to the pressure of society, the pluralistic society. They courageously stood up for their faith, and it led them to the fire. They were deeply involved in Babylonian culture. Right? They were in it, yet not of it. They received Babylonian education. They were part of the city. They were even working in the government, and yet they had the courage to stand up to the king. Nebuchadnezzar. Get this, people of God. Conscience doesn't care about consequence. Conscience doesn't care about consequence. Let Let me explain that. When your conscience is right, when you are right in here, you don't care what happens. And because their conscience was set on obeying God's command, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. They could care less the consequence of what would happen, even if it led them to the fiery furnace. In one sense, they had already made up their mind, even before they took one step toward that furnace. Friends, what are the pressures you feel from society today, from your friends, from this Nova culture, to keep up with the Joneses or the Kims, right? Where do you see yourself bowing down to Babylon? There will be times when you stand for God's truth and the pressures of this world, and you may be applauded, but others may want to kill you. When you take your faith seriously, when you stand for your faith, when you want to be a man or woman of integrity, you will not often be patted on the back for it. Instead, you will be vilified, you'll be mocked, you'll be criticized, and that will lead you to suffering and persecution. When you don't give in to the pressures of this world, negative consequences may come your way. Are you willing to accept these consequences. You see, in this current 
climate and moment in world history, even pursuing justice is uh, pretty widely accepted by everyone around you. But even for us, our definitions of justice will not always align with the world. Can you be courageous? As a believer, we have a firm stance on such issues of how we treat our our immigrants, abortion and unborn life, and uh, how we view social justice for our black brothers and sisters, and even on biblical sexuality. Will you be courageous? And let me just say, maybe for those of you who've never experienced persecution in your, uh, for your faith, if, you've never got, if your faith never got you into trouble, never brought you into disfavor, if your na- faith never caused you to, if anyone to suspect, dislike, or criticize you, then maybe, just maybe, there might be something deficient with your faith. I say this lovingly and with grace. You may want to check yourself. Check your faith. I'm going to just leave it at that. It's another sermon. Another pastor can preach that. <laughs> Friends, when we compromise our faith in, in these areas, we are subtly bowing down to Babylon. And my encouragement and my challenge to you is this. Deuteronomy 31, 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is part of our core value at Christ Central to be countercultural. This is what makes us beautifully different, and we need God's courage to live courageously different lives. Amen? Second, uh, first, so first we see courage leads us to the fire. Second, our worship is refined in the fire. <clears throat> so we see uh, in 17 and 18, we see this amazing declaration of, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, if this be so, our God whom we serve, and they go on and on, right? If not, we will not bow down to you. Right? We believe our God is able to save us. Not only do they say that he can save us, but what do they say? We believe he will. But even if, in the Hebrew, it literally says, but if not, even if he doesn't, still we will not bow down to any golden image. See, this is what they're saying. Nebuchadnezzar, we serve and love God for himself, not for what we get out of him. We serve and love God. We trust God himself. We love him for himself, not just for what he gives us. You see, when the fire comes, when trials come, our true worship is revealed. Right? Our worship is refined by what is revealed in the fire. Whom you worship, what you worship will be revealed. And just like gold being refined in the fire, the impurities are being burned off and your idolatries are revealed. As a pastor, I've often heard people say this, I've trusted in God. I've done my best to live a good life. And then I ask God to do this one thing for me, and, it, and God just doesn't come through for me. He doesn't deliver. You know, actually, if we are honest, we aren't really trusting God. I'd rather, this is what's really going on. You just want to use God for your own agenda. So what does it look like to trust God? You can think about it in these two ways. Do you have an if-then faith 
or an even if faith. You see, an if-then faith is this. If I obey you, God, if I pray to you, God, if I serve you, if I give my life to you, then you've got to give me what I want. You've got to give me my agenda. God, if I'm obedient to you, if I do everything you ask of me, then you've got to give me that husband that wife that I've been so longing for. You have to give me that job that I've been desperately looking for. You have to get me into that college that I so want to go into. Do you get what I'm saying here? And if then faith is God plus this, God plus that. And here's the lesson. Whatever is on the other side of if is where you're idol will be revealed. God, if you blank, then I will worship you. I will give my life to you. Friends, this morning, do you catch yourself saying if? Then you just might have an if-then faith. We trust and love him for himself, not what we can get from God. So then, the opposite of an if-then faith is an even-if faith. Even if you don't give me my agenda, even if you don't blank, we still believe that you are better than anything else that you can give us. Could it be your faith is not in God because God didn't do what you wanted him to do? At the end of the day, you tried to be your own God. And friends, what kind of faith is it when you say that you trust God, but when you're thrown into the fire, when the fires come, you feel like God has abandoned you and didn't pull through for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they didn't say, God, if you save us from the fire, we will worship you. If you save us from the fiery furnace, then we will gladly and boldly stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar. No. They had made up their minds before they, they, they went to the furnace. They said, even if God does not save us, we will still not bow down to the golden image. Our worship, whom you worship, what you worship is revealed in the fire. You see how God refines us. Is God revealing our true worship? Friends, do you love God for his gifts or do you love God for, for uh, because he is God? Is your faith an if-then faith or an even-if faith? And so the first thing we see is courage leads us to the fire. Secondly, our worship is refined in the fire. And last, there was another in the fire. And when God takes you into the fire, you are not alone in the fire. God will be there in the fire with you. We look in, starting in verse 19, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Right? It says he's filled with fury. So much so that the expression of his face changes. I know when I'm in trouble with my wife, when the expression of her face changes. King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He did not like the response of these three guys. And so he asks to make the furnace seven times hotter. I want it hotter. The furnace is so hot that even the soldiers who threw them into the fire gets burned. That's the, the balloon popping. That scared me. Uh, but that's what happens, right? It's so hot. 
And we pick it up in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. What is shocking about King what, what shocks him about King Nebuchadnezzar is that not only were there three men just walking around, there was a, another in the fire. There was a fourth is like the son of the gods, he says. This is a manifestation of God. It's God in visible form. The fourth person in the fire was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus himself. Friends, what you, when you understand that Jesus himself is with you in the furnace... And not only that, but when you understand that Jesus experienced the ultimate furnace for you, then when you go through the cooler, lighter furnaces of this world, you can face it with courage and joy. Jonathan Edwards writes about this, <clears throat> about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he experienced such agony and pain. This is right before Jesus would take on that cross to die. Jonathan Edwards writes this, he had then a near view of the furnace of God's divine wrath into which he was about to be cast, a furnace vastly more terrible than Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, Jesus was brought in the garden to the place where he stood and viewed its raging flames. He saw the glowings of its heat that he might know what he was about to suffer. This was the thing that filled his soul with sorrow and darkness. This terrible sight, as it were, overwhelmed him. The gospel is this. It's that you and I, because of our sin, because we do not love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our minds, because we do not love our neighbors as ourselves, we deserve to be cast into that fiery furnace. We deserve to be cast away from God. We deserve the wrath because God is a just God. And the consequence of sin is punishment and death. Jesus came and took on the cross for you and I. Jesus was thrown into the ultimate furnace, the furnace that we deserved. Jesus experienced the fiery furnace of death. He experienced the fiery wrath of God. He experienced condemnation and punishment for the sin for our, on our behalf. Jesus took on the ultimate furnace so that we might not have to. Salvation comes when we believe in him and trust him as our savior. And then none of the wrath falls upon us. At the end of the passage, Nebuchadnezzar says, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Even an unbelieving pagan, King Nebuchadnezzar realizes that it's only the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who is able to save in this way. Friends, every other religion has a way of salvation. What is that way of salvation? 
if you live a good life, if you do this, if you do that, you will be saved. Every other religion is based on some principle of your moral effort, your performance, your good works. If this is your belief today, then I want to challenge you. What happens when suffering comes into that picture? You will inevitably end up in one or two places. On one hand, and maybe some of you are in one of these places today, on one hand, you're going to be angry at God. And on the other hand, you'll be angry at yourself. You see, you're angry at God because you, lived a, you tried to live a good life. But when God doesn't meet your needs, the way that you want, you begin to resent God. You doubt God's goodness. You doubt God's sovereign plan. And you're angry with God. On the other hand, you're angry at yourself because you keep failing. You realize no matter your effort, no matter how hard you try and you try and you try to do it, you can't. And you look at your others and you compare your faith to others and you keep failing and you realize you don't measure up and you will fall into despair. I want you to know when you go into the furnace with those set of beliefs and when trials and sufferings come, the furnace will destroy you. And so how do you not be destroyed by the furnace? You place your hope and trust in Jesus who was the fourth person in the fire. Because the greatest comfort is that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. It's not just the physical presence of God, but he understands what it's like to be in the fire. The Bible calls this the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. God is not a distant God, but he himself went through the worst fire Friends, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, would you place your hope in Christ today? Because he knows your suffering. He's with you. For others, and I'll close with this. There may be some of you who are facing a certain fire in your life right now. <clears throat> Maybe the fire you're facing is because you stood up for your faith. Or it's a, a fiery trial you're facing due to the consequence of your sin. Or it's a God-ordained suffering that you may feel that is so random, so unfair. God, why, why is this happening to me? And this fire in your life feels like it's going to kill you. That there's no hope for tomorrow. And you're sitting here feeling guilty. You're sitting here feeling ashamed, anxious, depressed, and utterly hopeless. I plead with you, look again into the fire. Look again, look a little closer into the fire, and would you see that there was another in the fire standing there with you? And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free there's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all, I know, we know, we will never be alone. 
be reminded that Jesus took on the ultimate fiery furnace. That means the smaller fires of this life will not kill you, but instead it will heal you. So often we become so crippled by the fact of this catastrophic consequence in our lives, and we think that we'll be ruined. Our deepest fear is that your life will be ruined by it. My life is over. My, the gospel, my dear brothers and sisters, says this. It will do the very opposite. It will do the very opposite of the very thing you fear the most because Jesus took on the ultimate fiery furnace for us. All the other fires that we face in this life are refining fires. They're healing fires and they will redeem you. And that's why because he is with us in the fire, we can live courageously with an even if kind of faith. And even if faith that shouts, my God will deliver me, but if not, still I will trust him. The Lord is strong enough to deliver me, but if not, I will not give in to my sin. My God is able to heal me if he decides that that is what is best. But if not, I will not forsake my confession of faith. My God is able to deliver me from the nightmare that I'm in, if he chooses. But if not, I will bless your holy name and wake up to see his face in glory. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. This is what makes us Christ followers beautifully different. To God first, and secondly, to an unbelieving, wounded, hurting, and watching world who desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. Christ Central, let us be, cur be courageous even if it leads us to the fire. And it's in the fire that our worship is refined. And let us be reminded that there was another in the fire. I close with this hymn. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy goal to refine. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we come to you now in the midst of whatever trial, whatever fire that we're facing. And you know, you know exactly what it is that we're suffering from. And even if we're not suffering right now, suffering will come. Just because we come and accept this faith doesn't exempt us from suffering. No. You came. You came with suffering in this world. 
You, you knew suffering, and I pray right now, would you meet us exactly where we're at, and would you bolster, embolden our faith, and if we can't, if we can't see clearly right now, would you remind us to look a little deeper into the fire and know that you're right there with us. You will never let us go. You will never leave nor forsake us. And you will deliver us no matter what. They may take my life. They may take everything of me. They may even take my very life. But the only thing they can never take away from us is Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So we commit this time to you in your name we pray. We're going to respond now with a song. This might be a new song for some of you. If it is, if it's not, please sing along. But if it's a new song, let the words of this song minister to you. Let the worship team sing over you, and may you be encouraged by it.